Center before he came to uh, preach here. And uh, he's always trying to get me to come to his church ever since then. And uh, I actually live next door. And before you guys bought this building, he said, So if I buy the church directly next door to your house, then will you come to my church? <laughs> so here I am, and he's not even here. So, <laughs> so um, I grew up outside of Seattle, and I was by every definition a problem child temper tantrums, didn't get along with my sibling. Um, my parents really did have a hard time getting me to do what they wanted. Uh, about sixth grade, we moved to Nine Mile Falls in Eastern Washington. And uh, our, we didn't go to church at all my entire you know, childhood up until that point. We, uh, I didn't know what the different religions were, really no idea about faith at all. And the house we ended up renting in Nine Mile Falls was directly in between two pastors. You know, God does work in mysterious ways, but sometimes they're not so mysterious. And so one day I was talking to one of the neighbors, the pastor, and uh, he says to me, heaven and hell are real. And you don't automatically get into heaven. The only way to heaven is to believe in Jesus. And so I'm 11 years old and I'm thinking, well, yeah, sign me up for that. So I prayed, I accepted Jesus into my life, and an actual change happened in me. Um, you know, I received the Holy Spirit and I started to be convicted of things that I wouldn't have been otherwise. And I started calling my mom out for saying the Lord's name in vain. She would say Jesus or God, and I would tell her, you're not supposed to say that. Which kind of struck her, having never attended church. Uh, she thought, how does he know that? And so that was so convicting and convincing for her that she started having conversations with the neighbor as well. And she eventually gave her life to Jesus shortly thereafter. Now, that was not the end of my problem child days. I continued to struggle um, through high school, through dropping out of college. I struggled with drug abuse, alcoholism, pornography. I was becoming an adult problem child. And even into my marriage early years and into serving in my church early years, um, I continued to struggle. And what I realized is true transformation doesn't happen until you realize your purpose. You see, when you believe in Jesus, you become saved. But when you realize Jesus believes in you, you become transformed, and you realize your purpose. And that's what I want to talk to you guys about today is, is purpose. So if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 1. And I believe the words are going to be up on the screen if you don't. So uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, this is Paul writing. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in this body, in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Let's just pray real quick. Heavenly Father, we just receive your word today. I just ask that you open our hearts and you open our minds and you reveal yourself to us in a new way. Help us to see you in a new light that we haven't realized before. Uh, I just pray that you would uh, 
empty me of all my thoughts and just speak through me, Father. Just speak through me uh, to your people so that they can receive you in a new way today. In Jesus' name, amen. Paul says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Those are some pretty real words. If you're a Christian, heaven is your hope. I look forward to going to heaven. It's going to be great. I desire to depart and be with Christ as well. My hope is tied to something far out. You see, in the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, the literal translation for the word hope is a cord, like a rope or a strand, because you tie it to something. It has an expected end. And the further you tie it out, the further you tie out your hope, the longer it will last. So if you don't have hope in heaven today, I want to offer you that. And if you already have hope in heaven, I want to offer you something more than that. And that's a reason to stay. A purpose on earth. So the title of my sermon today is On Purpose. If you're a note taker, I want to give you the whole sermon in one sentence. You ready for this? I'll make it easy on you. I have heavenly hope and an earthly purpose. So in verse 24, Paul says, excuse me, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. So Paul's convinced that he will remain. So the first question I want to pose to you guys today is this. Why do you remain? Why are you convinced to stay? So I think there's four main reasons. Number one is passivity, which sounds like this. I might as well stay. Right? I think sometimes being on this earth is just the path of least resistance. Right? Uh, because to leave this earth on purpose is a pretty extreme option. I don't think a lot of us actually seriously consider that. This is what I believe um, most people who live without faith uh, fall under. Okay, they don't have an actual reason to be here. They're just going about life. They're pursuing all the pleasures and successes that life has to offer. But eventually, this person will come to the point where they ask, why am I here? Right? What's the point of all this? No matter how successful you are, no matter how many pleasures you find in life, eventually you get to a point where you say, what's the point of all this? Right? The second reason that I believe people choose to remain is out of fear, which sounds like this. I'm scared to go. And if you're not a believer and you don't know what happens after you die, I can understand. I would be scared. We fear the unknown. What if it's nothing? What if hell is real and I end up there? That would be scary. Um, I think as Christians, we can fear too. Sometimes we might think that we haven't done enough in this life to get into heaven. Uh, some people want to, some Christians want to spend more time on earth so they can make things right, so that they can get right with God or do more good work on earth. And, you know, I, I get that because to get to heaven and to be in God's presence, uh, you have to be without sin. You can't be in God's presence with sin. Um, uh, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all have sin in our life. None of us are in heaven without removing that sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's a gift. That means it's free. right? There's no amount of good work you can do on this earth to earn your place in heaven. So if you feel that you don't know what will happen after death, I feel for you, and I understand that can be scary. 
Jesus is the answer. Eternal life is a free gift. All you have to do is ask. If you already believe in heaven and hell and have accepted Jesus Christ, don't fear about not being enough because you're not. You can never do enough to earn your place in heaven. By accepting Jesus, you're there. You're going to get into heaven. It's okay to always want to do better. That's different. I want to always do better. I want to get to heaven and hear Jesus say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And I will always be striving for that. But I have no fear over whether or not I'm in or not. The third reason that I think people choose to remain is out of obligation, which sounds like this. I'm supposed to stay. Some stay on this earth because they feel like they have to or like they're expected to. They might say, well, someone shared the gospel with me, so I'm expected to pass that on to someone else. And yes, we are called by Jesus in the Great Commission to spread the good news across the nations, and that is our duty. But are we doing our duty out of obligation, or are we doing it because of our purpose? Those are different things, and I'm going to talk about purpose in a minute. That's the next one. But I want to stay on obligation for a second. Get this. So duty out of obligation can breed resentment. There's no hope in obligation. Pride, maybe, sense of belonging, sometimes. But obligation is not enduring. It cannot give you fuel to keep moving forward when things get tough. Just like hope is a cord that's tied to heaven, and it lasts because it's tied out to eternity, our duty needs to be tied to something lasting as well, not obligation. Like you might say, my duty on earth is to be a parent, or my purpose is in my career or my job. But what happens when your kids grow up and move out? What happens when you retire? Your duty needs to be tied to something far out in order to last. So I know this can get a little muddy, the difference between obligation, duty, purpose. I'm kind of mixing it all up, so let me try and make it clear here. Obligation is I'm supposed to do this, I'm expected to do this, or I'm required to do this. And it's all those things that will breed resentment. Purpose is, I was created to do this. And that's the fourth reason to stay, is purpose. Which sounds like this. I was made to stay. Purpose makes life worth living. This is my reason to stay, because I was created to. I was created to find hope in Jesus, and then turn and give others that same eternal, heavenly hope. And if you're a follower of Jesus... I believe you have that same purpose as well. Basically boiled down, this is evangelism. Okay? Simply put. And that's our call and that's our purpose. But I want to just kind of take the pressure off of evangelism a little bit. You see, evangelism, it doesn't have to be knocking on all the doors in your neighborhood asking them if they want to talk about Jesus. Um, you don't have to have the Bible memorized to evangelize. And I think sometimes we'll say, like, oh, I just don't have the gift of evangelism and try and avoid it completely. So I want to give you guys two ways that I think you can be more impactful with how you spread the gospel. The first one is telling your story. So in verse 25, Paul says, I will continue with all of you for your progress in joining the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. What his presence with his people does is it increases their boasting in Christ Jesus. 
your boasting in Christ Jesus. That's your testimony. That's your story. I told you guys a little bit of my story. That's me boasting about Jesus and what he's done in my life. Can any of you brag about Jesus? Has he done anything in your life? Is he real to you? What do you have in your life that you can tell others about that points to Jesus being real? Has he changed you? Has he transformed you? Has he saved you? Paul's saying brag about it. Boast about it. Why not? Do you think, what if no one will believe me? Well, do you believe you? Do you doubt your own experiences with God? Let me tell you something. That is a lie from the enemy. Do not let him sow seeds of doubt in your experiences with God. They are real, and no one can take that from you. Acts 4.20 says, As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. God was doing so many amazing things in their life, they couldn't help but brag about it and boast about it. Here's the thing. The story you tell, it isn't about you. You're boasting about Jesus and the things he's done in your life. Boasting can kind of have a negative connotation like that self-serving or prideful. You're not boasting about yourself, right? Your story isn't about what you've overcome and what you've done, all the amazing successes you've had. Like, my story is about a broken human surrendering to God. It's about an imperfect person who relies on a perfect God. My story points to God and gives him glory. And when you do it that way, telling your story is spreading the gospel. It is opening opportunities for others to receive hope in heaven just like you have. Telling your story is evangelism. It's your story. It's your reality. Don't be scared to share it. Brag about it. And so... How do you actually get opportunities to do that if you don't want to actually go knock on all your neighbor's doors? Which, if that's what you feel called to do, please, go do that. I would be super nervous about that. So I want to know what are ways that I can have more opportunities to share the gospel with people without feeling like a, a missionary, right? So there was this study done a few years back by a group called Lutheran Outer Ministries. And they partnered with a large third-party research firm, and they did a nationwide survey. And what they wanted to know is, when are uh, evangelism conversations happening? But they tried to take a really broad scope to capture more than just uh, Christians, you know, preaching the gospel. So they took a look at a category they called religious conversations. So this is a conversation that would be about, is God real or not? Do you have faith about this? Do you have hope? Um, it could be about anything that is to do with religion or faith, okay? A religious conversation. And the results that they came up with were absolutely fascinating to me. First of all, a lot fewer of these conversations were happening than I thought. So get this. 77% of non-Christians, self-proclaimed, I'm not a Christian, said that they had less than 10 religious conversations in the previous 12 months. Now, here's a shocking one. 72% of self-proclaimed Christians said the same thing. Less than 10 religious conversations in the previous 12 months. People just aren't talking about faith, hope, God, eternity. And that was surprising to me, honestly. The next thing that caught my attention was when they looked at what they called 
ambitious conversationalists. So these are people that had 50 or more religious conversations in the previous 12 months. These are people that talk about God, faith, religion, at least once a week, if not more. So they looked at these people and they said, what do they have in common, right? What, what kind of ties them together so that we can try and be more like them? That was kind of the purpose of the survey, is how do we have more of these conversations? And there's a handful of categories that they identified these people all had in common. I'm only going to cover two of them, but I think that these can really help us. So the first one is lifestyle. And it makes sense. Uh, you know, the more often you attend a church service, the more likely you are to have a religious conversation. Uh, the more often you read your Bible, the more likely you are to have a religious conversation. You're in the Word, you're thinking about it, you're going about your day, you might mention it to somebody. And the third one, uh, or I'm sorry, in church services, reading your Bible, and then doing life with other Christians. That was a big indicator on lifestyle is if you're actually talking to other Christians throughout your week and not just on Sunday morning, you're likely to have more of these conversations. So that was the first category is lifestyle. The second one was confidence. The more confident the person was, the more likely they were to have a lot of religious conversations. And this might be the one where you say, yeah, that's why I don't have that, right? My life's not totally in order. I don't have a ton of scriptures memorized. I'm not that confident in having these conversations. Well, here's the, the surprising part to me in that one was the biggest aspect of the confidence category was being a good listener. You see, good, effective communication is listening. We have two ears and one mouth. You've probably heard that before. Good communicators ask good questions. Confident communicators ask good questions. We can be scared sometimes to talk to people with different viewpoints. It's like there might be confrontation, it might be awkward. What if they you know, try to change my mind or they think I'm trying to change their mind? So I'm gonna rag on Cody for a second just because he's not here. So one of, one of his biggest character flaws, he probably has a lot, but one of his biggest ones is that he's a Dallas Cowboys fan. That's true, yes. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Amen. <laughs> wow, my people, so I can sit and talk to Cody for hours and have him tell me all about how awesome the Dallas Cowboys are, how they're going to win the next Super Bowl, how Dak Prescott's his best friend, but it's not ever going to change how much I love the Seahawks. He's not going to take away from my, my ability to be a fan of the Seahawks. And if you are able to ask good questions and go into these conversations with somebody that thinks differently than you are, just with the mindset of all I have to do is uh, show them that I care, right? The, the old adage, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Well, by asking good questions and meeting somebody on a heart level, right where they're at in their time of need sometimes, is how they're able to open up to you and receive what you have to tell them. But it starts with asking good questions. So to, to kind of recap, um, learn how to tell your story, learn how to brag about Jesus, and then you can increase your chances of being able to tell people your story if you uh, attend a church service regularly, stay in God's word, do life with other Christians, and then you can be confident when you have these conversations by learning to be a good listener and asking good questions. So I said I was going to give you guys two ways to be more effective in evangelism. The first one is telling your story. The second one is your lifestyle. I think the biggest way to bear witness is simply how you live your life. Is your lifestyle set apart? Is it different than the world? 
You sound different. You watch different things. You listen to different things. Do you react to tough situations differently? If you have a heavenly hope, your response to things should look different, especially through hard times and even through tragedy. Your story needs to give God glory. I have this friend at work, and a couple years back, he lost his eight-year-old daughter uh, to cancer. And not too long ago, he told me the story of her last few months on earth. She was sick for a really long time, and then she actually got better for a little bit, and then the cancer came back just really, really bad. And uh, there was just nothing they could do. They were, they were told that this was the end, it was terminal, um, which was tough, of course. I mean, we can only imagine. Um, she was scared, you know, she, she understood what was happening. She understood that, she, you know, they were, they were a faith-filled family, they talked about heaven and Jesus, and um, that was still terrifying for this little eight-year-old. I mean, it would be scary for me now. I can't imagine at that age. So one night, she's sleeping in her parents' bed, and my friend is watching her sleep like he did often. And as she's sleeping, she starts laughing, giggling out loud. And she reaches her hands up in the air like this, laughing, like belly laughing. And he wakes his wife up, honey, you can't see this, what's she doing? And they're sitting there watching her. And so she wakes up to both her parents just smiling from ear to ear at her. And she goes, he showed me. My friend says, so who, who showed you? What did they show you? She says, God, he showed me. What, what, what did he show you, baby? He showed me heaven. I'm not scared anymore. And her entire demeanor, as she walked out the rest of the sickness, was completely different. She really wasn't scared anymore. Her hope in heaven was so real and so tangible that she had no fear. And I think that helped her parents a little bit too. So shortly after that night, they had to put her in hospice. And that was a really frustrating time because it felt like the inevitable just kept getting delayed and dragged out. One night, the doctor comes in and tells them her heart's really strong. Um, it could be another couple of days. Yeah, it could be a week. Um, and that was just so, so hard to hear because it felt just get it over with kind of thing. And that night, my friend is uh, sitting next to his wife and he remembers a conversation that he had with her uh, pretty early on in their marriage when they first started having kids. And he said, honey, do you remember that time that you told me I will follow God into anything as long as he doesn't mess with my kids? And she just broke down and prayed right there. And she said, God, I will follow you into anything no matter what. And her daughter passed away that night. She got to sit by her daughter's bed and say, run to Jesus, baby. Her daughter was still living out an earthly purpose, helping her mom's heart turn more towards God, even in her last moments on earth. Here's what my friend said to me after telling me that story. This, this is the point. He said, I never knew I could feel that much pain. It was the most pain I've ever felt in my life. But I understand God's goodness and God's grace in a deeper way than I ever thought possible. Him telling me that story and pointing to God and saying, I know God is good 
because of what he'd gone through. Taking a horrible tragedy that no one would ever want to walk out and using it to give God glory, that is the ultimate way to share the good news. You know, people watch us, right? People watch what you do as a Christian. How you react, how you respond, how you treat people, what you say. They're looking to see, is there actually something different about them? Or are they just like everybody else? Is this all just an act? When you have to walk out something difficult, their attention's even more on them. And if you're going through something tough right now, what I'm about to say is probably the last thing you want to hear. And I realize that. Maybe this is for a future you, and you can just remember this and think back on it. Or maybe, even though it's tough, maybe this is exactly what God is trying to tell you right now. God trusts us with tragedy. When something bad happens, and all eyes are on you, and everyone's looking to the Christian to see what they do when their life falls apart, he's giving you a platform to speak from. It's like he's handing you a megaphone. And I promise you, everyone's listening. What are you going to shout into that megaphone? Are you going to shout about how bad everything sucks? How unlucky you are? How tragic your life is? How you're going to go get drunk and curse the world out? Just like everyone expects you to? Or are you going to shout about how great your God is? Are you going to shout that your God is bigger? Your God is stronger? Your God has got you through this. He's got you over mountains. He's got you through valleys. He's brought me to this place. I know he can bring me to the next. He will not fail me now. God, you get the glory from this. I'm going to invite the worship team up. They're going to sing one last song. The two, the two worship team. <laughs> I'm going to close with one last scripture and one final thought. This is a Revelation chapter 12, and this is a voice speaking from heaven, talking about the accuser of man, which is the enemy. How many hate being accused? Nothing fires me up more than someone accusing me of doing something bad. Revelation 12, 11 says, and they overcame him, so it's talking about the accuser, by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. So that is the formula for overcoming Satan on earth. I'll, I'll say it again. The blood of the Lamb, that's your salvation. The word of our testimony, that's your story. And not loving our lives to death, that's your hope in heaven. To live is Christ and to die is gain. To live is Christ, that is coming to know him and giving your same hope in him to other people and to die as gain. That's not loving life to the death. So the power of our testimony is not only to give others hope in heaven, but it's also the formula for defeating the enemy on earth. Now, Jesus has already conquered hell. I've read the book, spoiler alert, in the end, he wins. That's the war. There's still daily battles. And this is not only how you find your purpose on earth, it's also how you win the battle. So tell your story, give God glory, and live on purpose.